The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Do you want to hear like a beautiful story about our chemistry? This I got here first this morning and when I saw Toby walking in, I stood at the window and gave him the fingers <laughs> and he didn't he didn't see, but I stood there, like watched him the whole way. I was like, no, nah, that didn't work, sat down. And then when you arrived with that didn't even talk to him about it. He got up and gave you the fingers the whole way you walked through too. Well, it wasn't. Like, it wasn't oh Ben. It was, it was. It was spin-off deputy editor Alice Neville with oh. his dog. This actually, yeah, this isn't true because I I came in the front entrance. Yeah. Oh, okay, so Just it was Alice. But yeah. it's such a beautiful vibe and connection between <laughs> us. Like. <laughs> No my hi to my. It's gone by lunchtime. Thank you to members. Hello T.I. here, Butler, who's back after a brief uh, escape away where he was just doing editing. Nice to have you back. He's returned like a bronzed Adonis from the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit Adoniser. With a koala, koala T-shirt. And he just forgot what I was like. I'm just always like He's this. just he's been, been in the voice gym. Just like yeah. <laughs> benching be- be- 300 kgs with those like with my vocal larynx. cords. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into it, can we just um, have a quick shout out to David Larson, who I think we defamed uh, terribly last time. Well, you specifically defamed I specifically him. defamed him. And we'll continue to do we so will. until he can provide independent <laughs> verification that he did not indeed imprison most of New Year's population. Yeah. Or return to film reviewing because we miss his film reviews. They were They were very good in the day. Oh, was it that David Larson? Yeah, yeah. Oh, ah, okay. Uh, so, uh, kia ora, David. Um, apologies. Not not the one who's a murderer. Uh, that Annabelle was. No, no, no. no. His name same, isn't David same, Larson. <laughs> same guy. Same guy, yeah, same guy. <laughs> Sorry, David. On the agenda today, the Tauranga by-election, what it does and doesn't mean. The cabinet reshuffle will have some extended... Uh, discourse on the meaning of the word minor, who's up, who's down, who's out. We'll also talk about Jacinda Ardern going to Europe on Sunday, a bit of Joggum, a bit of NATO. But first, part of the cabinet reshuffle uh, was Megan Woods being assigned the role, I think this is right, I might be paraphrasing, Minister of Jib Board. Um, she was given, and part of it didn't make a huge splash at the time, but she was given, I think, building and construction. Was She was one of the bits that she was Sorry, that was one assigned. of Otto Williams's, uh, what, cut-off ends? Oh, uh, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very well Well done. Does Thanks. that mean that, like, Chris Bishop is going to be the spokesperson for jib stopping? Oh, very good. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, 
Yes, and um, the jib board, which is interesting one. I don't know whether it's a. How, I, I sort of avoided it for a bit, but obviously it's suddenly become this almost microcosm. Uh, a relatable microcosm, and those are always have cut through. In politics, it's like the, you know, we used to have number eight wire, and now we have jib board. It's this core part of the New Zealand <laughs> cultural character. Everyone has drawn a hopscotch with a knocked-off bit of jib board. Everyone's got a bended moulding bit lent up <laughs> outside the, the their house. The crushy, chalky bit that you can, yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. all of that, um, little kind of bits of jib staying around. But because New Zealand has... The construction is so dependent on jib, which is in part because oh, many, you know, the councils require uh, jib to be part of uh, the, the 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 construction and no alternative. Jib, Gibraltar board originally. Ah, yeah. Mm. The trusty as trusty as the rock of Gibraltar. Is this? It Cultural sounds so exotic. Well, is it high time we got onto this? Um, it, it's mm. definitely, Indeed. I don't think it's Indeed. culturally sound because Gibraltar is still occupied by the British. Contested right? territory. This well, mm. feels like we're recolonizing them again. Um, we'll return to that issue in a future podcast. But now the jib is all wrapped up in red tape. They've run out of it um, because of supply chains, COVID affected stuff. Fletcher who are responsible for the vast majority of jib. 95%. 95% of jib in New Zealand are under an awful lot of pressure, including from Simplicity and the Shareholders Association who have demanded the resignation of the chair and the re-election of the board. And it, it's... Off with their heads. Um, the Ben, is this one of those things that starts off as saying jib? I mean, like saying jib, but turns out to be something that will have a chapter in the book of this government? The jib board crisis of 2022? Mm. You know, it comes in an unfortunate time. Uh, there are, <clears throat> you know, we know that there's been a, a big shortfall in terms of construction and housing available for New Zealanders to live in. That's why we have sort of three families living in a home in South Auckland. That's why people live in garages. That's why we have huge numbers of people in emergency housing sort of, you know, using the CBD as their living room and, you know, abusing passers-by. Making the last couple of times I've tried to, you know, gone to use a public toilet in downtown Auckland. Like, I can't tell whether, like, you know, there's like a, a sort of drug frenzy or an orgy or just public drunkenness happening. It could be any, <laughs> could be any of them, but I don't want to pee there. But anyway, the, <laughs> as, as we get, took an unexpected wow. turn. I yeah. wasn't sure where that was going to go. But, so. but in any case, you know, we know that there's there's been a, a shortfall in housing, you know, around New Zealand, you know, about around the country for, you know, decades now, those numbers were just coming up. Uh, they've been coming up for the last few few years, um, you know, partly because of the high price of property. You know, it's worthwhile for, you know, people to develop apartments and units and that sort of thing. This grinds to a halt if they can't get enough jib board. And, uh, you know, there are, other he there are other headwinds on the construction sector right now. You know, there's inflation in, in other materials. There's a shortage of labour. Uh, house prices are falling now, so it's destroying those incentives to build. Uh, you know, right at the time that we're freeing up more land, uh, thanks to, um, well, the, the bipartisan, uh, you know, efforts of national and labour to, to change urban planning rules. It basically, it's a terrible time. It's a terrible time to run out of a fundamental building product. And there are a couple of things you could look at, whether it's 
uh, you know, it does seem eerily reminiscent of, you know, Fletcher's, which sort of is one of the largest companies in New Zealand and sort of built itself by being the sort of government-endorsed builder, mm. you know, part of this sort of cosy tie-in of sort of most favoured companies owned by rich families back in New Zealand's sort of early days. And there seems to be, a, you know, a slightly more convoluted but similar sort of thing happening here where there does seem to have been, you know, it came probably came from a good place, you know, trying to avoid the leaky homes crisis and a repeat of that, where it was basically settled on that the only thing you can use is jib. We'll never run out of it because there's a factory in New Zealand, so that's, that's what we'll use. Mm. But what that means is uh, that, you know, <laughs> Fletchers are the only people who can provide it, and if they decide to go slow in their factory... Um, you know, everyone else is left hanging. And it seems to have been sort of, you know, that MB and councils sort of thought that the only two options were that you either get your jib board, you know, hand-delivered by Hugh Fletcher from, you know, <coughs> their, their plant, or, you know, the whole of New Zealand goes up in Grenfell Tower sort of infernos. And, you know, people within the industry say that's not the, that's not the case. They just need to be able to accredit these other supplies. Mm. So it, seems, it does seem like a regulatory failure, um, you know, go, going in the you know, going too far in the direction of trying to minimise risk, uh, which has left us vulnerable here. Um, get the idea that maybe this is the sort of thing that somebody like John Key, who had links to the business community, might have actually been, a, you know, guys like Kim and Christopher Luxon would sort of get kind of parodied for this, but it is the sort of thing that they could just get on the phone and talk to business about and sort of sort it. Uh, instead, we've got a working group which is going to task force. Oh, sorry, sorry, task force. A strike raptor <laughs> plasterboard <laughs> workforce. It's going to be. It's going to. It's going it's to be solved in minutes. Annabelle, I reckon like we should just clip up this part of the podcast mm -hmm. and and send it to the government. Like we don't need a review. Ben's mm -hmm. broken it down for you. But also another thing to consider is maybe just Google it. Like get one of your advisors to Google it, find out what's going on and mm. fix it instead of having a a brachiosaurus task force situation about it. We could collectivize the jib board. Like I reckon people have got bits of jib. Like who doesn't have a bit of jib <laughs> in the shed? Mm. If you <laughs> cut off ends just the the gibbathon. There is a gib. <laughs> there is a gibbathon. <laughs> with yes. Megan Woods and uh, is it Chris Bunny, the head of MB? <laughs> and they were they break dancing as for people to courier in their left beaming, beaming Lucy Lawless and Taika Waititi from Los Angeles, being the people of New Zealand. Yeah, Taika Waititi will be like hammering in some jib with Thor's hammer. It's like the supermarket situation, though, right? Like whenever you've got a monopoly over something, hmm. you know, it just takes one guy to screw it up for well, the just, rest of us. Let's just whack it into the code of conduct for supermarkets. That they have to supply own. jib. Yeah, they have to I have mean, a jib if, aisle. if container door has jib, if they've gone from festoon <laughs> lights and like. <laughs> Barbecues, slow cooker barbecues. To I, I actually, like, we can do this, guys. It can't be that hard, honestly. <laughs> Speaking of regulatory failures, that is something that I've been thinking about. Like, you know, the code of conduct for supermarkets and the independent regulator for oh, supermarkets. Thank God. And you sort of start to think, you know, what's the potential? You know, it sort of strikes me as the sort of thing that you'd probably want someone from the Commerce Commission just kind of doing part time as sort of a bit of their job, as opposed to having like, you know, a dedicated working group, which is going to start talking about, you know, quotas of vegetarian food and sort of, 
you know, you can, you know, uh, increasing the increasing the sort of um, sensitive people times at supermarkets where you don't play any music and the lights are sort of slightly softer, you know, sort of six hours a day. It, you know, just sort of it, it suggests to me that there could be could be overreach, even even admitting that there is an issue in the sector right now. Uh, let's move swiftly on, shall we? Let's 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 move from the jib 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 crisis of New Zealand to the uh, geopolitical crises of Europe, I suppose. Jacinda Ardern is leaving on Sunday. She is going to Europe. She is going to hopefully, she says, sign, finish, put the final details on a FTA with the EU, uh, where there remain, it seems, some sticking points about over the usual suspects being dairy and meat, which the idea of the French uh, rolling over on that one seems reasonably fanciful, so it won't be as good as the the British FTA, but they might end up with something. She is going to see Boris Johnson, of course, uh, (laughs) which I imagine she will try and uh, keep to a fairly brisk hello. She's going to have a lovely cup of tea with Prince William. And she is going to Madrid, where she will be attending the NATO summit, first time a New Zealand leader has been to such a thing, and she will be speaking at it, what's more. And I don't know, what do you think, uh, Annabelle, Ben, what do you think uh, how this fits in with recent direction of travel which in which New Zealand appears to be aligning more closely with the traditional US and uh, Western ally block, particularly over uh, the Ukraine crisis, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it was interesting, there was a, there was a, there was a report in Japanese media in the last couple of days that the Japanese PM has uh, been briefing that he is hoping for a meeting on the sidelines of NATO with the Australian and South Korean leaders to discuss, and the quote in the in the in the report was or to show a solidarity against a more assertive China. So there's a lot of moving parts, all that stuff. How does this fit? Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about. Obviously, you know, as we've talked about before, New Zealand is sort of wedged in between uh, China and the United States and, and what we might broadly call the West. Um, our trade goes tends towards China, our strategic interests and our kind of, you know, values as a country more broadly, sort of democracy, liberalism, free speech, that sort of thing, tends more towards the West. What we've seen under this government is not so much uh, turning more towards the West. This is full-on wagons ho, like heading to the Western frontier, you know. Like little house on the prairie. Yeah, getting the family together in a caravan, you know, uh, shotguns at the ready, like... We're we're ploughing into the West, um, you know, attending, you know, NATO, you know, there, I, I'm not a geopolitics expert, right? But, it, 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 you know, there are all sorts of international organisations that we are, you know, members of, you know, either diplomatic sort of tie-ups or, you know, global organisations, which is where we see our future. You know, New Zealand's a small trading nation with not a lot of military might or something, depends on the sort of rules-based international order. NATO is a military alliance. It's a military alliance more specifically against Russia, (laughs) you know, following the fall of the the USSR. That's very, very different from anything that New Zealand has done, you know, in the last few decades. No one is Uh, suggesting we are going to join NATO. No, but even attending a NATO 
uh, meeting, you know, that's very different from just mm. sort of, you know, you know, go, being allowed to go and speak at the G7 or something or, or G20. Um, you know, NATO has a specific purpose, which is, you know, as a bulwark against uh, Russian expansion, essentially. And so, so the, you know, that, that's a pretty clear message. Um, it, it, you know, again, we won't have much to contribute militarily, and I'm sure that, you know, whatever the sort of canned comments will be will be about the sort of the importance of democracy and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it sends a really clear message to our erstwhile allies, uh, you know, now close friends in the United States, um, you know, signalling our sort of position in, in what is a, a new emerging sort of uh, contest between superpowers mm. uh, and, and regions. And our challenge really is to send a message, unmistakable message to Vladimir Putin and Russia without, I don't think that report <laughs> in the Japanese media is necessarily helpful for Erdogan's government because I don't think that their intention necessarily here is to send a strong message to China unless you're suggesting that it's a kind of uh, a disincentive for any further action in the South China Sea or on Taiwan. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, there were sort of whisperings that, you know, you know, it, it certainly seemed that Putin was taking advantage of what he saw as either instability or cracks in the kind of uh, Western, uh, you know, block um, to to try and seize Ukraine, and you know, China was you know watching that pretty closely, you know, because they have they they do have you know an expansionist agenda uh, in in the Asia Pacific. And, you know, the counterbalance to that, you know, does involve America. So America's willingness to get involved, uh, you know, and back up its NATO partners, which was in doubt, you know, with uh, when Trump was president, um, and probably a waning interest for overseas uh, adventurism, I guess, uh, in the American public. Um, you know, the, the fact that uh, America has gone all in on Ukraine um, you know, sends a message to China as well, and I think that our, I think us attending uh, NATO, you know, kind of, kind of is is consonant with that. Well, it's gone gone all in on Ukraine up to the point of not going in on Ukraine. To to be clear, but Annabelle, the this is the Prime Minister's speech at NATO will presumably attract a reasonable amount of attention. What would you like to hear her say on that stage? I, I would like to hear her call for you know, um, for disarmament. Hmm. And um, and I think it's, you know, it's an incredibly fine line that she's going to have to toe, and I think it's probably going to annoy China more than um, Russia that she's there. And um, difficult times for New Zealanders as we as we plot our course in the, in the new world order. And, um, and... We really have to think about what we're doing with our economy because we can't afford to get too far offside with, with China unless you're prepared to like fundamentally change that our economy is based on dairy. Yeah, very good piece by Brad Olson on the spin-off, uh, which pointed out that uh, the 0.2% contraction in the New Zealand economy at the beginning of the year, which means we're halfway through to, to a technical recession, uh, you know, was driven by a drop in exports. Now, that wasn't because, you know, China closed the doors, but it's a signal of what happens, you know, what can happen if our, you know, if we don't develop alternative markets and if China starts getting more sort of uh, bearish um, and assertive uh, against our trade, which is, you know, often their primary 
primary um, mechanism for dealing with particularly smaller countries that displease them. Um, exports, I think, were down 14% at the beginning of the year. And, you know, that, I'll, 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 you know, part of that's, you know, tourism and things like that that still aren't back on board. But anyway, you know, it, it shows we're a small trading nation. We always have been. That's how we've defined ourselves. Um, you know, it is very important that we open up alternative markets. Let's shuttle again uh, from Madrid to Tauranga, where on Saturday night a by-election saw National retain the seat. Uh, Sam Uffendale scored 56.3% of a low turnout, but not a not an astonishingly low turnout in the context of by-elections. They mm. don't tend to attract huge numbers unless there's a particular amount of drama or uh, or, or, a, or a knife said. You know, the last one that had more than sixty percent turnout was Northland when you know when we had you know Willagen Prime and Winston Peters and all of that. Um, Annabelle fifty six point three percent to Sam Uffendale. Jan Tanetti came in at twenty five point seven percent. Act just over ten percent. New Zealand First did not stand. The Greens did not stand. So of course you could suggest that that twenty five point something for Labor's candidate Jan Tanetti includes green some green votes. Who who'd be most pleased? Whom most disappointed? Does it offer any omens? Any signals beyond a snapshot? Well, I think ACT are pretty chuffed with themselves and, mm. how, and their candidate. I think he pulled 10%. Um, but I don't think you can read too much into that given that New Zealand First didn't stand. Um, I mean, it's a respectable result for National. It's what it should be. I mean, essentially, Labor didn't really contest the by-election in a meaningful Way. So I don't think they began can... every sentence with "we can't expect to." <laughs> yeah. So I don't think you can really read a whole lot into the into it. And for people that are comparing it to the twenty twenty result and and you know forecasting doom and gloom, the twenty twenty result was such a weird skewed result <laughs> that I don't think you can put a whole lot of stock into it. I mean, it's what you would expect. Other than the um, anti-vaxxers pulling in about five percent, yeah. See, I don't even think that's particularly weird. Um, <clears throat> you know, low turnout. You would think that the people who think that they're engaged in a life and death struggle against a government that you know needs to mm. be hanged on the forecourt of parliament or whatever, you would think they would be more motivated to get out and vote than people who are sort of yeah, well, I always vote national or uh, you know, I, I Antonetti used to be my kids' principal, something like that. Um, and and it was 5% combined, right? Mm. So a few of these sort of factional things, you know. But, uh, I think any time you see a, a, a movement like that starting to pop up, it's it's got to be a concern. Um, I don't think they're going to come storming home in the election. I think if this had been closer to the the lockdowns and the parliamentary protests, they they may have got higher. But sometimes you just need some weird quirk of timing for an for a movement like that to pop up in a parliament somewhere. So I, I don't think it's panic stations mm. quite yet, but it's it's worth keeping an eye on. Well, it's interesting certainly that even even on the night of the vote, the 
Freedom and Rights Coalition, which is the organization, the organization set up by Brian Tamaki and Destiny's Church that um, have, uh, you know, predates the, the mandates, but definitely uh, built on that movement and established themselves in a pretty prominent role in the parliamentary occupation. We're celebrating the result. Mm. And there are quite a few... Uh, leaders in the different kind of the many different, like probably a dozen different factions within that broader self-described freedom movement, who are all calling we need to come together under one banner. Some of them saying we must repudiate politics altogether. But the difficulty is that that I think a fair number of those who are saying we all need to come together under one banner. I don't care who. What they really mean is <laughs> under me. And there is. Uh, an awful lot of ego, an awful lot of uh, really quite contradictory worldview that exists within. When when you when when my enemy's enemy is my friend, mm, yeah. it's mm. pretty straightforward. And you're outside Parliament, and at last you feel as though you've found, you know, you've found a family. Once you have to move on to something else, it becomes a lot harder. So mm. I think I think the challenge there will be to keep a common cause in the lead up. To and the, I mean, election. they're never going to win an electorate seat. The only way they, that there's any kind of mm. fathomable and they know way that. of them getting in it would be yeah. five percent, yeah, which would, again would be a five percent. So that would require them to get their shit together and keep it together for several months. And I think that's unlikely. But, but it does it, 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 it does also create an interesting question around the various pushes, and there are multiple of them now that are calling for a lowering of the threshold, which 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 is which is a debate that whether or not whether or not that debate or will be or should be impacted by the potential for a group of people such as these to uh, find a way actually into Parliament through electoral means rather than by charging <laughs> <laughs> through police lines uh, uh, will, will be interesting to see. Yeah, I I think it might bring a bit more focus onto parts of, because uh, I think this is in the Greens' private members' bill, isn't it? Uh, reducing the threshold to 4%. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things the thing that the working working group is considering as well. Yeah, because I, I think the Electoral Commission reviewed it. The and, Law uh, Commission back in the day did, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and suggested Said four. that. And I, I don't. So did the so did the Royal Commission at the outset. I think. Yeah, and I, I don't tend to agree. I, th I think five percent is a, is a good threshold. You say one percent. You say one percent. No, 10%. no, so, no. One of the things that I really like about New Zealand is that we are quite stable and non-insane as a country. Um, you know, if if you were to profile our our country sort of psychologically, you'd say we suffer from seasonal affective disorder and probably low grade depression most of the year. Mm. But um, just a consistent hum rather than yeah. yeah but spikes. you know, as as opposed to the sort of um, the United States, you know, it was this massive polarization, and you know, and and you can see, you know, in you know, one of their major parties, the Republican Party, has actually got, gone kind of mad. Mm. And that's been as a result of, you know, if you think back to when uh, Trump was actually running, not just, you know, he 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 won the nomination by only having about 25% support mm. of Republican voters at the time, which is about 12.5% of the country. Mm -hmm. And in New Zealand, because of MMP, you just, you couldn't do that. You couldn't have a fringe figure take over a major political party like that. Uh, and, you know, and I, and I think we should have defence, you know, because MMP was, uh, you know, the mixed member proportional system in, um, 
in Germany was was actually brought in as a bulwark against fascism, right? <laughs> it was it was it was put in to prevent you know fringe interests from being in parliament and being legitimated. And I think five percent is probably a better threshold than four percent for that. Um, Mm. That, that's just math, I guess, isn't it? It's um, arithmetic, Tanga, oh, I okay, believe listen, they call it. Okay, listen, I'm going to do a quiz, <laughs> quiz, quiz time, okay. This is face, face the music type thing. Sorry, Tia, I don't know if this will work. Let's give it a go. Okay, what's that? Is that the parliamentary band or something? Yeah, it's, that's Trevor Mallard <laughs> being played out of Parliament to Barry Manilow. That is, okay, are you ready? You ready for this? Yeah. That's... A minor shuffle. Hey. Please, we'll just wind up the podcast there, shall we? Yeah, yeah. I don't know where there's anywhere so. to go. Wind up, wind up all podcasts. <laughs> <That's>, um, <laughs> we've, we've done it. <laughs> we've just clogged podcasts. Um, it's been lovely being with you all, and I'm sorry to say goodbye, but clearly the time is now. Uh, that got a lot of the, the the minor reshuffle as it was spun. The question of whether it was minor got a lot of attention, so we won't do you go over that anymore, do we? It wasn't. I don't even know why that got a lot of attention. Like, well, I, I, it seems, you know, you could understand if it was something that they were doing in secret and they said, we've done a minor reshuffle. And then, you know, six months later we found out actually it was really major. But if, I think if in the morning you say you're going to do a minor reshuffle and then in the afternoon it turns out to be quite a significant reshuffle, there's not really much harm or foul there. Do you not? No. I mean, no, I think I think, I think, think some of us, probably me too, me included, probably got overexcited by that for sure. But it's still, if you get, if the, if the spin is this is a minor reshuffle and then it's more than that, that's annoying. And it's spin. And spin is to be denounced at every turn. Anyway, the, the other part of it <laughs> is that I think there was a bit of sleight of hand in the in, in, in the reshuffle or a, a, mm. a, a, a clever framing, if you prefer, because it was presented as we've had a couple of departures yeah, yeah. which have uh, set set the dominoes in course that we need to make this various reshuffle. Well, Also, we're sacking Poto Williams. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, moving moving Poto Williams out of, out of one portfolio into another. That was oh, no, not... She, she accidentally got that packed, was, packed in the boxes when Trevor was, like, moving out of his it, office. It was, it was, she, she's ended up in the conservation portfolio. On my, on, you know, my big my big chart on my bedroom wall, <laughs> there is no line that links those two facts. Anyway, look, let's run through them. We'll get to Mallard at the end. Um, uh, we're running out of time, so let's just have some quick thoughts like along Pernod the Williams. way on no, on, on the different elements good. of it. Um, uh, Chris Farfoy, he's leaving. You could tell. The, it seemed to me that for some time you could tell that his mind wasn't completely there, and it was. It turns out that his mind was partly walking his son to school, which is quite <laughs> sweet. You know, like g- genuine person who is. Mostly, you know, admired, uh, respected, decent person, smart guy. Heart wasn't quite in it. Gives his valedictory. It's so on weird because kids just before they start school are at the peak of their most annoying. Like, like, bro, wait till he gets to school and then quit, because then you've got like all day to chill by yourself. But like, yeah, okay. They're whore at that age, uh-huh. anyway. Um. Desperate suggestion that he reconsider or become cabinet minister at large. That's the other way to go. <laughs> New role, Ben. Yeah, look, uh, you know, we've all said it. We all think it. It's true. Farfoy is like probably the nicest guy in Parliament. He's you know a genuinely lovely person. He's he he he's 
been a better estimate of his own abilities than his colleagues have been. Um, I think I said on uh, RNZ, you know, one of the first interviews he did after he became an MP, uh, he said, you know, yeah, I'm not really into policy. It's not my strength. Everyone knows I'm not a policy guy. And Ardern put him into justice, which is, <laughs> you know, pure policy. He's, he's dealing with, like, you know, highly conceptual issues like hate speech, conversion therapy, electoral reform, very detail-laden, and, you know, in immigration, which is, you know, that's not that's not sort of high concept stuff, but it's very detail driven. And, you know, for most of that, for most of his time in that portfolio, it looked like Erica Stanford, the opposition spokesperson, was not just sort of running him into the ground, but also seemed to actually have a better understanding of how the immigration system worked than the minister did. And he, he just didn't, you know, he wasn't suited for it. He didn't want to be there. And the the downside of that is that nice guy that he is, and he is mm-hmm. gra- a great human being, he probably inflicted a lot of unnecessary hurt on, you know, New Zealanders outside the border, on immigrants who were stuck here because of COVID. Um, you know, and, and it was a bad decision from the beginning. Uh, it probably should have come to an end sooner. Um, but I... I, you know, I think I join everyone in wishing Fafwa the best for the rest of his career. Eric Stanford, just quickly. Uh, oh, sidebar, incredibly impressive on Q&A on the weekend. She swore. Contra- if it weren't for the... She swore. She said, she said bugger. <laughs> that, bugger's okay, isn't it? Uh, that was, yeah, I think so. That, yeah. was, that was introduced into the acceptable lexicon in the Toyota ad, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's fine. Uh, Kerry Allen takes over Justice. Yeah, you'd expect, well, you might not expect that. I mean, she's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, she has been, you know, the star of of the, you know, new ministers. Uh, you know, that's pretty incontrovertible. You know, one thing that one thing that sort of sometimes gets missed in reshuffles because we talk about, you know, new blood and <clears throat> getting the electorate excited about these new faces is that the majority of the public actually can't name any politicians apart from the Prime Minister, the Leader of the Opposition, David Seymour since he's been on Dancing with the Stars, you know, and, and a handful of others, you know, probably Chris Hipkins certainly. Um, but, you know, even very senior ministers like David Parker would probably not have particularly high name or face recognition in the public. Kerry Allen, you know, thanks to uh, the tsunami warning, <laughs> um, you know, instead of appearing in, you know, kind of a preview of Top Gun Maverick <laughs> in her jumpsuit, um, you know, actually, you know, is, is somebody who's had real cut through with the public. She's She's been a very competent minister. She's a very good conservation minister. Um, and, you know, and, and has that kind of public cut through, has that sort of kind of image with the public. She's got charisma. She speaks in a way that people understand, doesn't she? Yeah. She's a classic Kiwi rugby bloke. And she is, she's just very, you know, very present as a politician. So it it makes sense that you would not only promote her on, you know, competence, but also because you do want to give an impression to the public that, you know, you've got political leaders that they can relate to. I do think, like, her legal background stands her in good stead and she's a great communicator and all of that stuff. But I think, you know, what's going on, in a, you know, in a wider sense in terms of crime and the 501s and three strikes and all of that, I do worry that because she's a wahine Māori that she will become a target for the racist right who, who will run lines about how, you know, like, she's soft on, on, um, on this stuff because, you know... 
to gangs and all of that sort of shit, I do think that that she will experience a lot, you know, a bit of a, um, a, a backlash in terms of some of the the commentary out there and and how it's um, perceived. I think um, one of the things that's interesting f- for me is um, the commentary around Trevor Mallard. Um, and how he has really enraged a group of older white men. And it's been largely around um, the first, obviously people were annoyed about the um, the legal case where he defamed a parliamentary worker, which is absolutely fair enough, cost the taxpayers $300,000 defending that and he lost. But a lot of it has been around the parliamentary protests and how he handled it. And I think that, um, in truth, a lot of the outrage against Trevor Mallard is actually because he's made Parliament a more accommodating and safer place for women and children. And I think that really irks a lot of older white males on both the left and the right, but because you can't really say that in public, they've made it all about the parliamentary protests. Like, if you think getting a bit of water sprayed on you and listening to Barry Manilow is the most (laughs) horrific thing that can happen to you during a protest... Go and watch Merata Mita's movie about what happened up at Bastion Point. <laughs> like, go watch her movie on uh, documentary on the Springbok tour. Like, calm down, everyone. And I think that's what it's really about. But, I mean, he was always an odd choice for speaker. He's a very reactive person who acts before he thinks, and that's got him in trouble. But I think his legacy of, you know, making parliamentary a safe space for mums where they can bring their babies into the house and all of that stuff is actually a really cool one and one to be proud of. Yeah, look, I think he definitely did good in the role, you know, in particular in the, in the ways that you're talking about. But I think in in parts, you know, he overcorrected and I think that's that's actually the source of a lot of the frustration, which was, you know, not that he was... You know, it, it wasn't so much, and you know, maybe it is tied up with you know this idea of you know kind of changing the character of Parliament. But I think there was a lot of concern, you know, again across the House that he just really sort of diminished the dignity of Parliament, and it wasn't because he was you know giving a baby a bottle, you know, while he was chairing the House. It was because the Speaker, who should normally have a pretty low public profile, was making false rape allegations on RNZ and, you know, conducting himself. You know, I I don't think anyone thought that he was being a sort of, you know, a a strong man police oppressor or something during the protests. I think he just was acting acting like a clown and he, he, he just made the whole thing a sort of farce. And, you know, even when he was trying hard, you know, in terms of question time, he introduced that, this innovation where he would sort of penalise supplementary questions or give more supplementary questions for bad behaviour or failing to answer questions, that sort of thing. Now, he had the best of intentions with that. It was good classic economic analysis of providing the right incentives for good behaviour. But what what it actually did was sort of destabilise the whole event and it made it much harder for the opposition, you know, to plan, uh, 
you know, their lines of sort of inquiry if they didn't know how many supplementary questions they would have. You know, getting more supplementary questions in the event of bad behaviour from the government doesn't really help you if you haven't planned for those as as an opposition, whereas losing uh, supplementary questions hurts you a lot. And... And Mallard sort of, you know, started just going crazy with it. You know, no one could even keep track of, you know, what was happening. And it was number wang. It was, it was number wang, whatever that is. But <laughs> uh, is that an internet thing? Uh, I think it's a fast show oh, thing. No, oh, it's okay. a Mitchell and, Mitchell and Webb thing. Oh, I right. mean, he, again, he was a bizarre choice for speaker, but I don't think he he's the malevolent force that he's been characterised as. But I think... Adrian Dudafi, on the other hand, is going to be a really great speaker. And I think that his more kind of circumspect approach and, you know, he does have that kind of elder statesman vibe, but he's also got a bit of steel to him. Like I've seen him in, in a, you know, debate that we had for Te Tai Hauauru. So there's some, there's some hmm. kaha there as well. So and I think it's, he's it's, an excellent It's to Mallard's credit that it seems as though he has been, you know, prepared for, Blooded into that mm. role, yeah. and and has been doing good. And mm. I feel like everyone is probably ready <laughs> from, from Trevor Mallard down. Is he? Yeah. He's going to, by the way, in case you missed it, he is going to a diplomatic posting to an a, a ambassadorial or high commissioner role in Europe. Um, and Ireland. Well, I guess it'll be. I guess it'll be an ambassador. Won't be a high commissioner. Well, anyway, Ireland. Ireland is the the hot tip. Uh, go and uh, set up somewhere in. In Dublin, have a nice time in the Temple Bar. Could be lovely. Uh, let's quickly talk, though, about... Do we want to talk about Michael Wood, <coughs> who is obviously a uh, another of the real performers, a kind of reasonably new addition came himself in a by-election recently. He goes to immigration, so that will be someone who will, you'll expect to get his head around the portfolio. He's already got a lot on. Uh, Willie Jackson takes over the media and broadcasting bit of Farfoy's, uh, the three the three portfolios he had. Uh, um, Jackson is, we all know who Willie Jackson is. We can maybe talk about that another time. Just small small he's, modifications he's already been for, the, involved in the for the RNZ, TVNZ, Radio, <laughs> Watia merger. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but the bit that we should, the bit that we should touch on is the, the police bit, which as I said, wasn't didn't have any direct link. It was slightly untethered from the rest of the reshuffle. But Chris Hipkins has been brought in, um, called by everyone, fix it, Hipkins, uh, to take over the police role. He has. Uh, he famously drinks Coke Zero. He I studied criminology. Oversaw so Coke COVID Zero. And now he's going to bring Crime Zero to New Zealand. Oh, there nice. will be no crime uh, once he's finished with it. He'll get up there every day and announce the end of all the crime. Is it? <laughs> arrest <laughs> numbers. Arrest numbers, yep. Uh, ram raids. He'll be, like, he'll be like, put your hands against the wall and stretch your, spread your legs. Okay, <laughs> okay. I think, again, we've covered the, everything there. But but it is, it is it's sort of, there was a sense that, that there needed to be a change there. Um, the the Porter Williams approach, uh, Dern didn't quite say she got it wrong, but the approach didn't seem to fit the moment. She said something, it was quite something revealing. She said it wasn't the right narrative, which is, I, I felt was, like was a, was a, was a, um, what do you call it? A, 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 breaking a, the fourth wall. A, a Kinsley gaffe, <laughs> yeah. you know, where you say something that is true that you didn't mean to say. Um, that, that, yeah, it's about narrative, right? Yeah. The, the, I, th- I think she, she seemed remarkably sort of upfront that, 
you know, it was one of those, uh, you know, in the old days you'd say, oh, the, the minister has, the minister's issues have become a distraction from the important work in the portfolio. Um, and this went even a step further, which was basically that uh, we are finding it hard to concentrate <laughs> On the, on the issues that we want to do because of the narrative. And so Poto has to go because of the narrative. Um, and, you know, the narrative in this case is that, you know, Chris Hipkins, dad's come back to sort it all out. Mm. Your old fave. Chris mm. Hipkins, minister of about 80% of the portfolios in cabinet now. It still doesn't look a day over 25. <laughs> no, although, although the COVID I did. I feel sad for conservation, though. <laughs> yeah, no, but it does. It's like... Like all of this flora and fauna, like that's like seriously threatened, and we give the most underperforming minister in the Labour government conservation. It's but like, she's same ranking. The ball. Why same don't you ranking. give it to Madame Davidson? I, I don't think right. he's... give Madame Davidson a go. Spread the love. Right. Help out the Greens, boost them up. Mm. Porto Williams is, I mean, she's she's very competent. Um, you know, I, I've dealt with her before. She's she's. You know, she's not she's not inept. You know, she she wasn't sort of promoted to cabinet by accident. Um, but you know, the prime minister's right, and the media were right. You know, it was it was the wrong presentation. She wasn't able to sort of you know, and you're limited as you as to what you can do as minister of police, right? Because it is you know, the, the police have operational independence. You can't tell them to go out and arrest either ram raiders or your political enemies, right? Which is probably a good thing. Uh, but it means that you have to give the sort of appearance that you're tough on crime to kind of reassure people. You know, Claire Trevitt said, you know, Porter Williams was at a disadvantage because she's a, you know, a sort of sensible, sort of unforthcoming kind of person and, you know, Mark Mitchell looks like a cop. You know, I thought what she... Audrey Young said was right on the money, which is that she made Mark look like way better than he actually is. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, she, she, yeah, it wasn't the right portfolio for her, um, but I, I think I'm sure she'll do a good job in conservation. Um, Kerry Allen starting some, you know, pr pretty pretty big reforms. It's in, a massive, massive, massive department, right? Well, like, there, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, I mean, quite apart from being really important to New Zealand, it's also mm. things can go wrong in there unexpectedly, given the number of people, the sheer number of people that are involved. Yeah, there's that. I mean, the, the big thing, well, one of the big things for conservation right now is, I mean, they're, they're dealing with the stewardship land and where that's all going to go. That's about 10% of the country, right? And, you know, whether you, whether you sell parts of it off, whether you classify it as conservation land, uh, they're, they're currently grappling with how to deal with their treaty relationship following some uh, court judgments, Um which said that they were basically interpreting the law wrong in terms of how they dealt with iwi. Uh, so they've got to they've got to you know really look at a new direction there. That's a big piece of work, and there is a lot of internal resistance inside organisations mm. like DOC. Mm. You know, uh, they hate the thought of being the subordinate partner when it comes to like co-governance of certain places. Well, look, it's changing, and there's different people within the organisations. You know, but you know, the, any big organisation, you'll have you will have inertia and. Uh, you know, there's a lot happening in Doc. There'll be, a, you know, it's certainly not, it's certainly not a demotion to be in to to go to con conservation. Conservation is first of all very important, there's a lot right, of important exactly. issues, and the second thing is that it's great because you get your photo taken cuddling kiwis instead of you know next to smashed shop windows. It's terrific. People used to really fight tooth and nail for conservation because you know because of the photo ops, because of the good news. Um, so. Um, 
Very quickly, just rattle through. <laughs> Annabelle's making things. I'm doing the wrap it up like Playing a baby. Wordle with one hand and saying wrap it up with the other. Um, what else like happens? Aisha Varel take, take, takes a COVID-19. Nobody would argue with that. Megan Woods, uh, Science Innovation Portfolio goes to her too. Priyanka Radhakrishnan moves into Cabinet, takes Workplace Relations. Karen McNulty, who'd been Chief Whip, gets a bit of local government, ministerial role outside Cabinet, which will be to alleviate some of the burden that is currently on uh, Nanaya no, no, he's, 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 he's going to be the Minister for Regional Charm Offensive. I Someone think. was saying he sold his ute, which seems really problematic. Barbara Edmonds is obviously another rising star, and she's going to chair the, the, the Finance, Finance and Expenditure, Expenditure Committee. And she'll be a minister early next year. All of those things, many more. To, but look, let's. Um, it's Matariki. Um, and I think it's the shortest. When is the shortest day? It was yesterday. yesterday. Oh, great. We're on the, we're on the up. Yeah. Uh, Edible, did I see you on the TV? Are you doing a TV thing on Matariki? Doing a panel on Matariki morning. And have you, and have you recorded that? Yeah. How was it? It was awesome. Was it? Yeah, it was right. really cool. What about you, Ben? Any, have you been invited to be on any Matariki panels? Uh, I, look, I'm excited to learn a third constellation that I can identify, along with Orion and the Southern Cross. It's probably going to be like the most enduring legacy of this government is um, this Matariki holiday, I think. And in a couple of years' time, we'll forget that there were some idiots that didn't want it to be named Matariki and all of that stuff. And well, I'm going to go home and another holiday. make many Vibes. constellations out of my cut-off bits of jibboard. This has gone by lunchtime. Thanks, Tiahe. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, members. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.